thought capital. The world changed dramatically. Sustainable business practices. Phenomenally important with young people. Riding the Chinese tiger. Leadership goes beyond making a profit. Let's be forward thinking. We do need to accommodate difference. Hello, I'm Michael Pascoe. If we're ever to have equality. Welcome to Thought Capital, the podcast that delves into the wealth of ideas created by the experts at Monash Business School in Melbourne, Australia. Australia's key security partner and key trade partner are locked in an escalating trade war as the established great power tries to contain the rising great power. It is a conflict with potential to rock the global economy, let alone little Australia. Australia, Japan, Western Europe, we've done so well from trading with China and riding the the, the Chinese tiger uh, under the American security umbrella. So that was a very sweet uh, deal for, for us. Dr Giovanni Dialetto teaches international trade law in the Bachelor of International Business. He's with us today to explore how the clash between the US and China is shaping the international economic order and the implications for Australia. Giovanni, welcome to Thought Capital. Thank you. We've become used to decades of steadily liberalising international trade. Is that now under threat from this trade war? Uh, we are really going through a paradigm shift in the uh, global economy and also in the management and governance of international trade. Was the scene already set for tension between the US and China on trade before Donald Trump? Yes, it was very much so. So Donald Trump is only accelerating a process that was due to come sooner than later, i say. There's always been a uh, cross-party division of of fields of those who are more pro-trade and those who are more protectionists. You know, with China's rise and the the failure of China to to become more like more Western with free trade and globalization, of course, this has now exposed the fault lines of the globalization project. We're having a little squabble with China because we've been treated very unfairly for many, many decades for actually a long time. I think that the fair escalation of the U.S.-China trade war is not inevitable. Uh, Of course, it is possible but not likely, in my opinion. Economic and also cultural reasons can push uh, these two countries to to find a way to coexist even in a uh, heightened state of tension. The relationship I have with President Xi is extraordinary. It's really very good, but he's for China and I'm for the USA and it's very simple. How dangerous is Donald Trump's ego in trying to find a resolution? It is probably for the first time on recent history is more dangerous than it would be those of the so-called non-democratic opposers or competitors. But of course, Trump is going to last next two or six years. Um, I don't see Trump uh, so crazy. I mean, he is what he is, but I don't see him so crazy as to to really uh, pull the trigger. It's not just Trump. Uh, I'd say it's also Xi Jinping. We don't know that much about Xi Jinping as a person. What sort of leader do you think he is? Because he's very popular. He's a strong leader. So he's projecting this uh, winning you know, persona uh, for a newfound pride into, into China. So this is uh, probably is a nation-building uh, man. 
Xi Jinping has brought a change is even more drastic than Donald Trump has done. For the changes that are required, perhaps in China to maintain momentum, mm. uh, there are big changes that do need a strong central um, control over the fringes. Mm. Uh, and this is what we don't know yet. If we don't know yet, because it is an existential battle between the US and China. Uh, what the US want from China is to deeply reform their and their system, become a full market economy. Of course, China will never do that because it would uh, would jeopardize the, the grip of the Communist Party over the Chinese system. That's the way the Chinese system works. But is it more than that? Does, does the US want more than that in that it wants China to remain in second place? No, I don't believe so. The uncertainty about what the US wants is really, OK, where do they want to take the multilateral trading system? Do they want to break down the WTO altogether or do they want to just limit the reach of the enforcement mechanisms of the WTO? So this is the big question that will reveal the, the true fault line of the US-China contest today. What are the chances of a US-China deal to head off the escalation on trade? I think any substantial deal cannot be seriously expected to, to be reached in a few months. A normal free trade agreement between two medium-sized countries take, on average, two to five years to agree on. We know it's a state of permanent tension, and we can live with that. So the best we could hope for is a deal that's effectively a truce, Probably, rather yeah. than a deal that actually means... Actually, it would be bad for the rest of the world, particularly for the Asia-Pacific region, if the US and China reached a truly uh, grand bargain, as it is being called, because this would really spell the end of the old liberal economic system and it will really begin a new era of a bipolar world. Uh, it's not a cold war because I think the difference is that there is no true ideological competition like it used to be with, between communism and, and democracy because the economic system is interlocking. So we would, we would have two interlocking spheres of influence between the US and Chinese. So it would be pretty much the end of true multilateralism so everybody else in the world will become price and rule takers of whatever the US and Chinese decide, even more so than it is today. Uh, but at least now there are some checks and balances somehow uh, in, in the balance of power. So the balance of power will be thrown off completely in this bipolar world. And it will be really bad, especially for a country like Australia. We, uh, again, we might be even further pushed away from China by the US, because then I think this grand bargain between US and China will lead to a situation in which uh, the, the US uh, recede to a more sustainable position controlling the oceans, the Pacific and Indian oceans, and the Chinese will have a free reign over Central Asia and the rest of Asia. And you can see how the Americans are willingly retreating from uh, Central Asian engagement anyway on, in land, but they're actually pushing harder over the seas in terms of maritime control, anti-piracy, you know, the quad uh, also is there. So for the Australian economy, so a grand bargain also will reduce the voice and impact that the Australian economic diplomacy would have on setting the rules for, for trade and the economy. Is trade being used as a tool of bigger potential war? Very much so. I would confidently say that trade has been weaponized by not only the Trump administration, you know, quite blatantly, but also by everybody else in the world. I think we are all adjusting. The Americans call the shots in, in, in any major policy decisions in the world. And of course, the, Ch the Chinese are responding to that. They're actually fanning uh, on the flames. And the Europeans are now 
uh, also uh, abiding by these situations. And the European Union are probably the only other bloc that can potentially really deal with the US and China on nearly a, a, a equal uh, level. Everybody else, including Russia or India, are not there. They're not there really. Russia is punching above its weight because Putin is very, you know, uh, clever about it. Uh, India is is not ready. It's always been non-aligned. But India might be pushed. That's another game the U.S. are playing against China. Uh, the U.S. are dreaming about India moving over to the U.S. camp uh, out of fear for China. And, and of course, the U.S. are playing this game in Europe because Russia might fall into the embrace of China and then Europeans might be scared by that. While these geopolitical games are being played, horrendous games, what's the real world for companies and individuals needing an economy and a, a trade basis? I think it's a, it's a bit of a paradox because short term we are seeing, especially in the Asian region, the Asia-Pacific region, we are seeing that the early winners of the trade war are actually everybody else, So, but uh, US and China. Uh, the US is l- certainly losing out, for example, having withdrawn from the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and there's early data coming out uh, that shows that actually countries like Japan, Vietnam, are actually in Malaysia and the Philippines are, are, are gaining from the so-called trade diversions. So, of course, as U.S. and Chinese companies try to differentiate the risk and try to decouple from each other, of course, they need to turn to someone else. And this someone else is in Asia. And uh, again, Vietnam, Thailand are doing really well. So consider the automotive industry, for example. It's a very complex supply chain. If an American company or a European company, even one's car company, wants to produce uh, in, uh, in, in China or sell in China, well, they would avoid to do it through the U.S. supply chain to avoid tariffs. Where do they go? They will go to Thailand, for example, and all other heavy industries that will go to Vietnam. And, you know, in terms of uh, opening new markets, they will sell to Japan rather than to, to China. But they, they would use South Korea as the, the broker of, of this. And how is Australia being positioned then? Are we potential victims? Should a deal, a truce be arranged between China? Well, there and the US? was a. a um, we are in a tricky position at the rest of Asia, uh, especially Southeast Asia, because true, we are a bit further away from China, but in a way, we are closer to the US security wise. As an island nation, continental nation, we, we need to side with the, with, the, with the maritime power rather than the land power. Of course, this is tricky for Australian firms, Australian companies, because we, you know, we export commodities, you know, we export agri-food stuff, so rocks and crops. What is going to happen to our rocks and crops should the U.S.-China trade war escalate into a more conventional war or some proxy wars in the in the area, which will create new choke points in the maritime routes uh, over, you know, northbound from Australia? Of course, this is going to be highly disruptive. On the other hand, wars uh, can even create more fluctuations in commodity prices. They might push commodity prices up, but then where are the markets going to be? And if the U.S. are going to tell Australia, okay, you cannot trade with China anymore because uh, they are our enemies, of course, what is Australia going to do? Is going to stop uh, trading with China, I guess. That's a hard scenario to grasp. Long term. It would put Australia into recession depression. I mean, not just rocks and crops. Uh, our services exports Mm. now to China are more important than the crops and most of the rocks. But having said that, not to be all doom and gloom, uh, when there is a higher risk, you know, business people know very well that there is also higher, bigger opportunities for huge gains. And I think this is true also in this situation for Australia as an economic system. 
of course, Australia can find new ways to exploit um, the, the new supply chains. Now, yeah. supply chains are, um, there is already some macroeconomic data that's showing the supply chains are uh, decoupling between the US and China and also uh, regionalizing. So they're deglobalizing, they're shrinking, they're becoming shorter and less knotty. Australia geographically is quite peripheral and with a reduced complexity in a way, we, we would know better where we, to stand if we can still find markets that can be non-aligned, if we can maintain a sort of non-alignment, we can still then offset uh, the potential disruptions uh, of the US-China situation. This probably explains why the Australian government has been so active in uh, reviving the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership with the US. So Australia and Japan have never been this close, actually, as in the past few years. And it's also now negotiating a new trade agreement with, uh, with the European Union, which would be very important to, to find also new uh, routes around the US and China. Uh, and we just signed a new trade agreement with uh, Hong Kong, which is very important because it, it, it fills the gaps that were left with the trade the CHAFTA, so the, the China Free Trade Agreement. So because lots of financial uh, capital flows actually uh, from China goes through Hong Kong. So I think this uh, is very important to, to, to complete the the Australian economic uh, dynamics. What are the key risks for Australia in this conflict? Australia, Japan, Western Europe, we've done so well from trading with China and uh, riding the, the, the Chinese tiger in the last 40 years uh, under the American security umbrella. So that was a very sweet uh, deal for, for us. And now this toy might be taken away. Security-wise, we could become the theatre of a proxy conflict and I say that the, the hotspot would be, of course, Taiwan, the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea. And there it could be tricky because, of course, the, the Americans would use you know, Darwin and the north of Australia as a base. It would not necessarily happen, but it might happen. Leaving out a hot war, what's the risk to us? It would be a huge uh, recession if you don't have a plan B ready. If there is a very quick escalation, so it's also the rapidity, the, the, this escalation of trade war, and if the US and China shut each other out of their own trade, Australia will be left in the middle. This is the risk of huge economic disruption. We risk to lose a whole generation of economic development and growth and possibly to really go backwards in terms of our socioeconomic development in a generation if we don't react, because then... Uh, reorganizing our industrial economic system would take years. So are we really more dependent on China than the US for all the talk of security? In a way, we tend to underestimate how much how much reliant we are on America, also on, economic, uh, on the economic side. So we do trade one third of our exports go to China and, you know, commercial volumes, but also the capital flows, the financial markets we are... And, uh, equally dependent dependent on the U.S. flows, I think nearly 30% uh, to date. Goods-wise, we're de- you know, not dependent. Dependence is too, too strong. You know, you're dependent when you reach 40, 50, 60% with one country, one market. But it's our main uh, partner is China. But in capitals-wise, our main partner is the U.S., so I guess that the U.S. also have something more <laughs> on the plate with us than just security and the, you know, Pine Gap and the 5i. Be an optimist for me. Okay, I'll try hard. What could happen that allows us to live happily ever after? Can you see a way through the mire? So the U.S. and China, 
they might actually come to a point in which they really weaken each other. And this would allow a new space for other countries and other blocs to, to rise. And this will create a, it could create a healthy balance of power. To be optimistic, we could see that over the medium-long term, a century or so, power could be more diffused, more, more spread around different blocs. And this could be positive. Immediately, Australia's position, uh, we've already been wrapped over the knuckles a few times by China. Do you see that continuing, getting worse, or have we learned a lesson? Well, China, of course, has uh, strong instruments for, for pushing their ways and making their voice heard. So what could China do to us other than now they are making it be harder for coal shipments to, to be cleared the customs in China? I think a fair escalation could become, for example, and that would probably endanger my job here at university, would be maybe to not allow so many Chinese students to come and study in Australia. Oh, so many tourists, you know, it's our third largest export industry, education. Very it's easy no target. No cost to China. No cost to China, actually the opposite. But sea routes would be a, a, a very tough escalation, whereas Taiwan, our, our two key yeah. services trade are awfully easy to do. Well, imagine a, a, a conventional conflict in the South China Sea or an invasion to Taiwan and a response to the Americans, which is you know far from certain anyway. Well, of course, that you know, even our trade to Japan, North Asia, will be compromised. So, where do you go? Where do we go? So, Australia doesn't have another option. <laughs> Who do you think is going to win this trade war? Us. Aren't we being optimistic? It's everybody else. Neither yeah. U.S. or China. I think everybody else. Neither U.S. or China will win, and again, they will weaken each other. I think this is my mid medium term prediction or hope uh, of both. Uh, on the short term, of course, it's tricky. And some countries will be hurt because there will be more proxy wars. Uh, but if we manage to our uh, feet dry from, from this, I think that we, we can do well. We can do well over the medium term, but we need to be less complacent, to be more open to, to, to change our minds and our ways. Giovanni Dialetto, thanks for talking to us. You've been listening to Thought Capital from Monash Business School. You can find more episodes on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was produced by Tina Zanu, editor is Nadia Hume, sound production by Gareth Popplestone. Executive producer is Helen Westerman. Thought Capital is recorded at Monash School of Media, Film and Journalism.